I have two readings this morning, and I'll explain that in a minute. We're going to have two readings this morning. So our first reading comes from John's Gospel, chapter 8, chapter 8, actually chapter 7, verse 53, down to chapter 8, verse 11, and that's found in page 840 of the church Bibles. Does anyone need a Bible? There's Bibles at the back there. Does anyone need a Bible? One Bible over here, two. Thanks, John. There's one over here for Elizabeth. There we go. Thanks, Alison. And then just so you're ready for the second reading, the second reading will come from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 11, which is found in page 821 of your church Bibles. But let's start with John first. John chapter, really is chapter 8, verse 1. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came to the temple. And all the people came to him, and they sat down, and he taught them. However, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it's commanded that we stone such a woman. What do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to harass him, he stood up and said to them, Let he who is out sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from here and sin no more. And then our second reading from Luke's Gospel 15, verse 11. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to eat the food that the pigs ate, but nobody gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son began to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. Before. I'm no longer worthy to be. But the father silenced him and said to the servants, Bring the, quick, the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. No, it wouldn't have been great if Jesus had stopped there, but he didn't. 
Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and said, What do these things mean? The servant said, your, your brother's come, your father's killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, she killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray again and ask him for his help. Lord, before us we have the treasure of your word, that word which describes to us the beauty of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, the one whom we love and wish to love more, the one whom perhaps we have never heard of before and we wish to learn about him. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come this morning and assist the preacher. He needs your help. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. And as you move, you would build us up in our faith, that our living hope would grow within us. And if there's any amongst us who do not know you, Lord, we pray today that you would move by your Spirit, giving that rich gift of salvation, for that is the most precious thing in the world. We ask this for the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We just grab some water there. I don't normally preach from two texts because I think it can get a bit confusing, but today there's a reason for it. The text that we have before us in John, many of you will see in your Bibles that it's in brackets, or there's a footnote around it that says this text wasn't in the original manuscript, it wasn't in the original early texts. And the reason for that is, is because way back when we have all the data before us, the, the Bible you have before you is a unique gift. It's given to us by the Lord who inspired the people he wrote it, like John. He inspired John by his Holy Spirit to write John's gospel. John recorded it in the power of the Spirit with his personality, but through the Spirit so it's reliable, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's God breathed out. And, G and the Lord did this with all the scriptures we have before us, which is why we can trust the Bible. But as we come today and we come across a portion like this that says it wasn't in the original manuscripts, what do we do with it? How do we know it's genuine? How do we test to see if it actually is Scripture? Well, what we've done is we've looked through church history, and guys who are a lot smarter than me and have a lot more time in their hands than me have done this, guys like John Calvin, Don Carson, Martin Luther, modern commentators like Tom Wright, have looked at this passage and said, whilst it's not in the original manuscripts, it is almost certainly authentic story about Jesus. So we can trust this text. And why can we trust this text? Because it doesn't contradict the rest of the Bible. The Jesus here described in this text is the Jesus that we have come to know in the rest of the Gospels, is it not? 
The Jesus who shows mercy. The Jesus who shows compassion. The Jesus who doesn't compromise holiness, but doesn't respond like the Pharisees. And one of the interesting things about this passage is there's a bit of debate where it should be placed. Some say it should be in John here, and others say actually it belongs in Luke's account. And I agree with the guys who say it belongs in Luke's account for many reasons. One, because the words used here in the Greek are very like Luke. It sounds like Luke, and the point that Jesus is making here is a point that actually we see in that famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. So the reason today why I want to look at the parable of the prodigal son is to show you and highlight to you that we can trust this text as an authentic story of Jesus because it doesn't contradict anything that we have revealed in Scripture about him. Are you still with me? Anyone has any questions about that? You can see me in the car park afterwards. (laughs) So let's look. We will look at both, but let's turn our attention now to Luke's gospel, to this amazing story. As I say, I think Luke is the one who's written that bit of text about Jesus, that story which survived down in the early church. And the reason for that is because the themes are so similar, especially to this, the most famous of parables, the most detailed of parables, the one that speaks so much to us, the parable of the three sons. The parable of the three sons. Son number one. Let's look at him here. Son number one. When Jesus was telling this parable, there was a mixed crowd around him, and it's good to keep the context in mind. He had guys around him who were attracted by his teaching, by his mercy. He had tax collectors. Who many of you like paying taxes? No. So those guys were there. They had prostitutes. They had sinners. They had this mixed crowd. And in the crowd, too, were the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who thought themselves better than everyone else. So when Jesus is preaching this parable, he's preaching to a mixed multitude. And the first son that he preaches about is those around whom nobody would talk to, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the morally broken. Like that lady who was caught in adultery, the first son represents them. And as Jesus preaches this parable to them, he says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. Now, I would love to have seen Jesus preach. When Jesus was preaching, it wasn't There was interaction. The crowd expressed their approval or their disapproval at him. And so when he was preaching, have any of you ever been to the Middle East? Our country's outside, really, of the UK. We're very proper in the UK, aren't we? We sort of sit and we're respectful and we don't throw rotten tomato. Please don't do that. Uh, We're we're very, but if you go outside the UK, if you go to India or Africa, around there's a lot more vibrancy in the give and take. And in Israel, the crowd would have When Jesus said there was a younger son who said to his father, give me my share of the property, the crowd would have gasped. Because basically what the younger son is saying to his dad is, dad, I can't wait for you to pop your clogs. Give me my will now. That's a rough translation of what he's saying. But it's shocking, isn't it? Father, you have worked hard. You've built up the house. You've established the family. I've got everything I want, but actually I want freedom from you. And I can't wait for you to die, so give me my property now. And the second shock, which is actually more scandalous, is the father says yes. The father says yes. The religious leaders would have really been shocked at this. The father should have said to the son, no son, just wait, I go, behave yourself. No, he says, have it, have it. 
And so this younger son is given his share of the property. The elder son got some, by the way. He wasn't forgotten about. And the younger son got a smaller portion, but he went with his portion of property. He ran off into the far country, gathered all that he had and squandered his property in reckless living. I don't understand people who jump out of airplanes. Have you ever come across this? I, people seem to like to jump out of airplanes. I'm told it's, oh, Tim, you've done it. Okay, there's one or two have done it. I'm told it's a very exciting thing to do, but I kind of like, you know, having my feet in the earth. But apparently jumping out of an airplane is an exhilarating thing. It, it's great, the adrenaline rush as you throw yourself out and plummet to earth with the forces of gravity. It's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Talk to those guys afterwards. And the younger son's like that. He's got his freedom from his stuffy old father. He's away from the elder brother. He's went to a far country where nobody knows him. He's got money. He's got cash. He's got potential. And he has a riot of a time. The adrenaline's flowing. Things seem good. Things seem well. And that happens to us too sometimes. When we run from God. When we hide from Him. When we think we've pulled the wool over His eyes and we've got away from Him as much as we can. It's great. But when you jump out of an airplane with no parachute, the fall down is fantastic, but the landing is rough. And so here in verse 14, when he spent everything he had, when all his natural resources came to an end, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And many commentators in this passage and many preachers in this passage talk about the scene, and it's a true scene of how he went round to all those friends he seemed to have before when the money was good. Not one of them was interested in him. How he went to that far country, and because he was a foreigner, the government didn't care about him. And so this son who had his freedom, his life beheaded him, the bright shining lights of the far east, go east, young man had to hire himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He went into slave labor, basically. He was in the field feeding pigs. For a young Jewish man, that is the lowest of the low. His freedom, his running, his landing has come to a sharp stop. And this is true in Scripture, is it not? We see this in Luke's Gospel when people run away from the Lord. They have that initial burst of freedom. They think all goes well. And then things start to fall apart because God pursues us. God pursues us. And this young man had reached rock bottom. In fact, verse 16 is probably the lowest point of this parable. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. These are carob pods. They're horrible husky things. Have any of you ever tried to eat a coconut shell? I wouldn't do it. That's basically what they are. So the guy is sitting here in a field starving, and he's looking at the pigs, the lowest of the low creature, and I bet you he's thinking they'd be tasty with brown sauce, but he can't eat them, he can't do anything with them, and he's got no food. He's shooed from broken cisterns, and he's forsaken the source of living water. Then verse 17, he came to himself. He came to himself. He realized he had it pretty good in his father's house. He realized the one that he had run away from him loved him and cared for him. He came to himself. As we say in Northern Ireland, he got a grip of himself. Do you know that saying? Get a grip of yourself. The running came to an end. The freedom, the acceleration, the adrenaline burnt out. 
and he starts to think of home. He starts to think of that place where he was loved, that place where he was accepted, that place where there was joy, that place that actually is in all of our hearts. Look at our society around us. Listen to the music. The themes are loving and wanting to be loved, wanting to be accepted. They go about it in the wrong way like this young man, but the the hunger is there. And so he comes to himself, and then he starts to do what so many of us have done before. I'm, I'm sure you recognize yourself in this. How many of you tried to make excuses to your parents for something you've done wrong? Oh, come on. Confession's good for the soul. I recognize myself in this. You, you sort of, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go back. My, my father's servants have it pretty good. He, he knows he's offended the father, so he starts to think, right, um, if I go back to the father, I'll, I'll tell him I've sinned against him. He's genuine in this, but he's, he's making excuses. He's trying to think of the words to say. He's trying to, trying to put up a thing that sort of makes the father feel sympathy for him. Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hard servants. In this, we see a beautiful picture of repentance. He came to himself. Repentance is assessing yourself truly in the light of God's word. Getting a grip yourself, realizing that in our runnings from God, we've got nowhere and we cannot escape him. Realizing that we have rebelled against him, that we have squandered what he has given us but also having an awareness, too, of his love for us. And so repentance is, is turning from the running, the self, and swinging around and heading back to God, confessing, coming in humility. It takes a brave man and woman to be a Christian because we have to admit we're wrong. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's easy to put up bluster. It's easy to make excuses. It's easy to keep on running, but it takes a real man and woman to say to the living God, I have got it wrong. Let me come home. And so he makes the excuses. He rises and goes to the Father. And I love this. Look at verse 20, if you're still with me. He rose and came to his Father, but while he was still a long way off. How good you... I was talking to somebody about eyesight today. How good's your eyesight? He was a long way off, and I love this. Even though he was a long way off, the father sees him. What does that mean? The father was looking out for him. The father was looking out for him. The father, in fact, there's a song, is there not? Softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for me, calling for you. Watch as he waits by the portals. I know I've mixed that up a wee bit. Waiting for you to come home. The father watches. And as soon as the Father sees him, look at the language here. This is Jesus describing God. The Father sees him. Now, usually when I did something wrong, my mom didn't feel compassion. She did eventually, but... But the Father here, and it says he felt compassion. The word there for felt compassion isn't he thought, oh, what a terrible scene. The compassion took him over completely. That warm feeling of forgiveness of seeing his son. And I mean, this bear in mind, the son's been in a field full of pigs. What do pigs smell like? Not very nice. And he's been around the pigs and the not very nice stuff that comes out of pigs. That's, that's not been around the bush here. This son smells really bad. It's not only did the father see him from afar off, he probably smelt him from afar off. <laughs> and yet, 
And yet, the overwhelming emotion is compassion on his wayward son. Not rage. Not, I told you so, you didn't listen to me. And he ran, embraced, and kissed him. Now, the Pharisees who had been shocked by the further scene would have been completely shocked by this because men in the Middle East don't run. They'd lied. They moonwalk, but they do not run because it's beneath their dignity. And they have robes. I mean, they wore all sorts of paraphernalia. I mean, could you imagine at the coronation service of King Charles had started running around Westminster Abbey? That's how shocking that would have been. And yet this father abandons. And bear in mind, the son's probably walking through the village. So the villagers will see him coming, and it'll be a great source of gossip over Sunday lunch. Oh, look who came crawling back. And they know what the son did to the father. And the father, before the son gets to the village and receives in that, he runs straight to him. And the father actually takes criticism from the village. Who does he think he is for giving that son? Look at that old Egypt running there. Father doesn't care. The compassion drives him. He runs, embraces, and kisses him, and said, and the son starts, and I look at verse 20, I love this. He starts his spiel, and the father cuts him short. He says to his servants, bring the best robe. What's a robe? A robe means he's back in the family. Put a ring on him. It means he's part of the household again. And put shoes on his feet. Servants had bare feet. Sons had shoes. This son who came to himself, who returned to his father's love, who repented, received the overwhelming compassion of his father, and is back in the household. Fred, this morning, that is our God. No matter how far you've run, no matter how much you've got yourself covered in pig dung, He will run to embrace you because our God desires that all should be saved and come to a living hope in Him. We have to repent. We have to say we're wrong, but when we come back to Him in trust and in faith, like this first lost son, He will receive us. And for some of you, it is time to come home. He wants you. Now, this would be a great movie if we just finished with the first song, wouldn't it? Disney would love this. They'd have the music playing. They would have the fattened calves sitting there. Oh, a big sirloin steak. Lovely jubbly. The hashtag there, 24, my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and found. They began to celebrate. That would be fantastic. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't stop there. Now we come to the second son. And by the way, this is why I've chosen Luke's gospel, because the lady caught in adultery was like the first son. She was looking for something. She was yearning for something. She was looking for love. She was looking for, for acceptance. She looked for it in all the wrong places. And Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. Repentance at his feet, but loved. And now we come to the second son. The older son was in the field and he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, what do these things mean? And the servant said this, your brother's come home. Shouldn't you be happy? Your brother's back. The family's complete again. Your father's killed the fatted calf. Go, go and enjoy yourself. Ah, but there's a problem in the heart of the older son. He was angry and refused to go in. The word here in the Greek is, is pretty intense. Do you know that anger that produces tears and feet are stumped and people are upset? That, that's how angry he is. And I mean, on a practical level, you're like, son, you're, you're about to get a free steak. You know, 
He's not happy. But notice this. Again, this would cause shock to the leaders because the son, when the father asks somebody to come to a party, as a son, you should go. But the father goes out to the son. The father goes out to the son. This gives me hope for whom this son represents. The father goes out, and the conversation's kind of ironic. He answers his, the father pleads with him to come in. And the son says, look, father, all these years I've served you, I've never disobeyed you. Well, you just not refuse to go into the party, so you are disobeying him. Mm-hmm. But look at the language here. I have served you. I have done my bit for you. I have done my 30 years of service. I've never disobeyed your commands, which you clearly had done. Yet, you never give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Oh, come on. Why is he serving? What's he serving for? Is it actually love to the father? Or is it because he wants a young goat and he's upset that he hasn't got his goat? gets worse. Now, as his son disobeying his father and flinging the invitation back in his face, he now brings up the other brother. Notice the language here in verse 30, but when this son, it's his brother, he's disowning him. When this son of yours, this is your fault, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who, why are we throwing these things back in his face? We don't know. Nobody's mentioned prostitutes in the story up until now, until this older brother. You killed the fatted calf for him. Jesus in this story for the second son is talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees fit this to a T. The Pharisees outwardly were the most religious people of the day. They stayed at home in the temple while the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and all them guys went out in the riotous living. And this Jesus goes and walks among them and he forgives them and he says, you can be part of the kingdom of God while these religious guys who are in the temple night and day are up at six o'clock in the morning to light the lights. These guys can't even have their goat. But they're lost too. They're lost too. The first son's easy for us to identify with. He was off having a wheel of a time. But this for me is the saddest thing. And Jesus, when he looks at the Pharisees, as though he has some harsh words to say to them, still it is done in love because he looks at the Pharisees, he looks at the religious leaders, those who are exposed to the Bible, those who worship in the temple, those who've been in church all their lives and never know the saving grace of God. How sad is that? To be in a church and not know the free, loving forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ to be bitter when they see it in others, to criticize the father. And it's up to the father who's part of the family, not the sons. The father's the one who can decide who he's inviting into the family. If he wants to bring this son back in, that's his business. And instead, they spend their time running others down. They bring, I mean, John, John chapter 8, that verse, that chapter is, is pretty horrific in some ways, is it not? that they would bring a lady who was caught, and let's be tasteful, but who was caught in the very act of adultery and throw her at the feet of Jesus? What sort of religion is that? How much must you hate somebody to do that to them? How bitter must you be? 
standing in the presence of the risen Son of God. Look what the Father says to the Son. It gets worse, doesn't it? The heartbreak. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. The Father pleads with the Son who is lost in the household. You come home too, Son. You have seen me. You know what I'm like. Is my mercy so offensive to you? Is my grace so outrageous to you? See how this actually fits in with the rest of Scripture. Remember that parable about the workers? Where the guys come to the vineyard at the start. How many of you like getting up at six o'clock in the morning? How many are up singing and what's, what's the BG song? How many are staying alive at six o'clock in the morning? These guys go up at six in the morning, they go into the vineyard and they fit. Working with vines isn't easy. It's painful work. And they work all day, they bear the heat of the sun. And about 12 o'clock, they need some more workers. So the vineyard guy goes to the workplace at 12 o'clock and says, Right. I need some more workers. The guys come at 12 o'clock. They work through the heat of the day with the guys from 6 o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, before the workday closes, they need some more helpers. And so they bring in some more helpers at the end of the day. When it comes to payday, they all get paid the exact same amount. The guys who are there from 6 to 5, they get paid $1. Guys that were there from 11 to 5, they get paid $1. The guys there from 12 to 5, $1. The guys there from 4 to 5, one dollar. People start to grumble. What does the owner of the vineyard say? Is my generosity so offensive to you? Is my grace so outrageous to you? It is my wages to do with as I please. God gives the gift of salvation to whom he pleases. We should be more concerned about the fact that we have received the gift of salvation, rejoice in that, and long to see others come to that salvation. We should be singing in our own hearts, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. The parable of the three sons. The first son, who was outrageous, received the Father's mercy and compassion. The second son, who represents the Pharisees and those who think the church is about them and not about the Father. We don't know what happens to them. The finished story finishes there in a cliffhanger like it does with a lot of the Pharisees. But let's not forget the third son. And the third son is the one who is telling this parable. The son of the living God, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus who here preaches this outrageous, freeing mercy and grace that whosoever would believe in him can come to him and receive salvation. Isn't that amazing? That's what the church exists for. To talk about that Jesus, to praise that Jesus, to show the world that is thirsty. I mean, in some ways it makes sense that John put this passage, chapter 8, in the middle of it because it's in the middle of talks about thirsty people. People who are thirsty for living water. That's Jesus. People who are in darkness, we'll look at it next week. He is the light of the world. Why on earth will we spend time fighting amongst ourselves when we could be doing the Lord's work in a desperate and needy world? Look at Lincolnshire around us. Look at Lincoln. Brothers, and I'm going to get in trouble here. Somebody called to me last week and said, you forgot about Essex. <laughs> the only way is Essex. Look at the needy world around us. We believe we have come to know the Savior of the world. 
the light who shines in the darkness, and the darkness, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how cold the winds of persecution and chilled our faith blow, the darkness will never overcome that light. No matter how thirsty the world is and how deep their thirst is, we know one who is living water who will quench that thirst both now and for eternity. That is our Jesus, the one who tells this story, the one who that lady who was thrown down at his feet in her shame, in her heartbreak, who says to her, I will not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus, the third son, can say all these things because he went to the cross to give his life for us. He went to the cross to pay the ransom for us. He went to the cross to defeat the powers of evil and darkness and death itself by raising himself from the dead by the power of God the Father through the Holy Spirit to live forevermore. Oh, death, where is thy sting, grave? Where is thy victory? That is our Jesus. And that is the one who we love. And friend, this morning, if you're here, you may be a prodigal. You may be a Pharisee. He loves you. Come back to him and sit at his feet and rejoice in his love. For he loves you. You may feel you've done outrageous things. His grace is more outrageous because it will forgive you. And he can do so because of the cross and the empty tomb. Let's all come home. And as we make this place a home, let it be a home that folk can see Jesus in and are drawn to it by the power of his love at work amongst us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have been with us this morning. We pray that what was not helpful would fall to the wayside as always, but what you have said would stay with us. That we again, as believers in you, would come to know and trust and rejoice in our living hope, in the grace that you have given us, the riches we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the description throughout the Bible of the riches we have in Christ Jesus that you would give us a knowledge of that love that surpasses all understanding. You would fill us with the fullness of Christ and rid and ground us in that love. And as we have been forgiven, help us too to forgive others. As we have been received, help us too to receive others. Help us not to slip into the mode of the Pharisees. This isn't our church. This isn't our work. It is your church, your work. You are the head, and it is up to you how you will build it and who you will bring through the power of your Holy Spirit. So help us to be in tune with you, we pray. May we know that compassionate love. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us with a love that is in this world and is eternal and that is yearning and reaching out. We pray for those who you have asked to come home through your Holy Spirit this morning. May you help them to come home to you. And for those in the city around us and in Lincolnshire 
and indeed the whole world. Help us to go with that love and reach out with that love and see you at work. For you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. And we thank you for this, for Jesus' sake. Amen.